Welcome to the Lifehouse Church Podcast. Lifehouse is a church that exists to invite all people to live an uncommon life by following Jesus, doing life together, getting in the game, and leaving a legacy. We hope that today's message helps you grow as a follower of Jesus, gives you perspective to see yourself and others differently, and inspires you to make a difference in the world around you. Now, let's get to this week's message. Well, good morning, Lifehouse family. Everyone doing good? Man, it's so good to be back. I miss you. You know, you know, you, you know, skipping one week of service feels like a month. And just imagine we did like eight months of that back during COVID. It's just like, Lord, it's like no wonder people had fallen off. But 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 it is good to see people coming back to church and meeting together. The gathering is so important. The the gathering together, we come together, we sing, we praise, we submit ourselves to God's word, we respond to God's word, we see each other's faces, we check in, how how are you doing? The church has been doing that for thousands of years, and it is so vital as a part of our following Jesus that we prioritize us gathering together as his church to worship and hear God's word, and we're going to be, be receiving communion to, together as well later on, so... It's going to be a great day, but I'm excited to preach today and continue our series, Jesus. And before we do that, I want to give you a reminder about something along with the top three today. You're getting a top four. Uh, is, 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 um, we, are, we are doing church at the park. So uh, Sunday, July 2nd, in lieu of our normal gatherings here, we're going to be gathering at, at Newport News Park um, at 10 a.m. for an abbreviated service. And you know probably when I say abbreviated, all of you laugh. Because it's like we don't do anything abbreviated here, especially when I'm involved and, it, and, and I'm preaching. Uh, but anyway, we're going to strive to do an abbreviated service July 2nd at Newport News Park. And then we're going to have food, fun, and fellowship after that. So uh, that should be on the screen behind me. You can sign up for that. We'll, we'll be shooting out text messages, emails, and stuff like that. So we would love for you to plan to join us if you're going to be in town on July 2nd. If you're going to have family in town, feel free. Bring them out. It's going to be a fun time of us doing something different on Sunday, July 2nd. But how many of you, you are ready to receive God's word today? Yeah, open hearts, open minds, Lord, do it. To, today we are continuing Jesus and where we've been in a series looking at the life of Jesus. Jesus is the main point, y'all. If we aren't striving to be like him, what the heck are we doing, right? So, so we are taking time to just kind of comb through Jesus's life, look how Jesus lived, and say, how can we do the same? And for the past four weeks, we've, we have been looking at Jesus and the Bible. Jesus and the Bible. Because I, I don't think many times we really realize, understand how important the Bible was in Jesus' life and shaping him, molding him, and helping him know what he was supposed to do and how he was supposed to train. And so we have been looking at Jesus and the Bible the past four weeks. I'm going to review that really, really quick. But I want to first off remind you of this, that Jesus is our Lord, our Savior, and our example. So Jesus is the one that we're called to, sub, to submit to and follow as Lord. He's the one that saved us. He's the one that lived the life we couldn't live, died the death we should have died in our place and for our sins, rose and defeated Satan's sin and death. He is the one that saves us, but he's not just Lord. He's not just Savior. He is our example. Everyone say example. That is why it's so important. If you're new to following Jesus, read the four Gospels. What are they? Come on. Not, okay. We got, okay. That was like in unison. That was like a choir. Matthew. That's what I'm talking about. Right? Y'all been learning something. Y'all been doing your own reading. Okay. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the four gospels. And, and simply, gospel means good news. They're basically four biographical accounts from different perspectives of the ministry and life of Jesus. And I would just encourage you, before you dive into the Old Testament and Genesis and, and, and kind of what Paul wrote to the churches in the New Testament, I would encourage you, dive into the life of Jesus. 
dive into him because he's ultimately our example. Okay, but one of the things that I think we skip is the fact of, like I said, how important the Bible was in Jesus' life. And there's a couple quotes that have kind of been guiding our, our, that have been guiding our conversation on this. The first one is this. Jesus learned, submitted to, quoted, obeyed, and taught the scripture. Therefore, Jesus' followers are called to learn, submit to, obey, quote, and share the truth of scripture. Andrew, Andrew Wilson says this. He says, I don't trust in Jesus, or he says, our trust in the Bible stems from our trust in Jesus Christ. I don't trust in Jesus because I trust the Bible. I trust the Bible because I trust in Jesus. I love him and I've decided to follow him. So if he talks and acts as if the Bible is good, trustworthy, authoritative, helpful, and powerful, then I will too, even if some of my questions remain unanswered or my questions remain unpop or my answers remain unpopular. All right, let me give you a few points to kind of summarize each week to get you caught up to week number five. Today, the first week we talked about how this Bible, the Bible isn't just information about God, it's revelation about God. That we aren't just trying to, to pass the course God, right? It's like we are trying to know a person. And the Bible is him revealing himself, who he is and what he's like to us. The second week we talked about, though, in order to rightly receive this revelation, we have got to uh, become aware of our ingrained and cultivated thoughts, feelings, ideas, and subjective the third week, we said how if we're going to get this book right, we've got a major on the majors and minor on the minors. And last week, we talked about how a wrong view of the Bible begins with a wrong view of who God is. God is holy, therefore his word is holy. And today, I want to talk to you, and this is kind of the guiding thought today, is in God's word, we find God's will. In God's word, we find God's will. Now, I don't know about you. For years, I thought Jesus did what Jesus did because Jesus was Jesus. I'm not stuttering. I, 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 that was actually a real sentence, right? <laughs> like, I thought for some years, Jesus did what Jesus did because Jesus was Jesus. And it's just like, what Jesus did? Well, yeah, he was Jesus. Like, Jesus healed people, preached powerfully, saw demons cast, cast. Like, he did these things because he's Jesus. But I don't think what I really realized until, honestly, recently, is how human Jesus was. That yes, Jesus was 100% God, 100% man, yet scripture even says, Paul says in Philippians 2, it's not that he lost him being God, but it's that he set some of his divine qualities aside for a season. Why? Because he wanted to show us what was possible when a human being is filled with the Holy Spirit and governed by personal discipline. Because we just did not need more words from God. We needed an example. How powerful is example? You can have a person all day shout Bible verse at you, shout commands at you, thou shalt do this. But when you have somebody that doesn't just talk it but actually says, follow me, that's powerful. And that's one of the main points of Jesus is that Jesus came. There was the word of God, but then Jesus came and revealed the will of God in a human being. And one of the things that Jesus does for us, Jesus is our possible. Some of y'all, y'all gonna have to let that sit. Because you are seeing your life only through the lens of your potential. Instead of seeing your life through the lens of of Jesus's potential. Because I don't know if you know this, the same Holy Spirit that Jesus was filled with, you have access to. You are not a, one of God's stepchildren. 
children that you get a second-tier Holy Spirit or that you get second-tier anything. All that Jesus had access to as his followers, we have access to the same. And so Jesus was somebody who was filled with the same Holy Spirit we have access to that we can be filled with. That, had this, that, that, that showed us what a life submitted to his father, what a life governed and filled with the word of God can do, is that Jesus shows us what is possible. And that's why it's important for you to read about him, that as you read about Jesus, you just don't read about him and be like, oh, that was cool that happened 2,000 years ago. But that you can actually say, man, this is actually possible for me. But you see the way that Jesus got to this point. Like I said, wasn't this because he was Jesus? Jesus, and we say it all the time here at Lifehouse, didn't just try to be like his father. He trained to be like his father. Where you can even see 12 years old, Jesus is now playing video games. Not that they had video games back then. But Jesus is in, in the temple going back and forth with the rabbis over scripture. You can see there's a dark period of Jesus' life where there's not a lot said about Jesus' life from 12 until his public ministry at 30. And what scholars say is that during that time, it was Jesus doing the faithful, dirty work in the dark before he came into the light. It was 18 years of him being a carpenter and doing hard work in grimy places for people that were, that were probably very unappreciative. He was not out there in, in the crowds. He was in there grinding away faithfully in private, quoting, chewing on, meditating on the word that had gotten in him. Then we could see at 30 years old, his ministry begins, and in three years, Jesus changes the world. And for some of you, I feel like you need to hear, because some of you feel like, and I'm going to speak to my old seasoned veterans here today. Those who are in their, I don't know, 50s, 60s, 70s. Some of y'all just got offended because I said 50s. <laughs> I agree. I'd be offended too. Right? <laughs> 60s, 70s. I mean, just, here's, here's the thing. What I want you to know, don't throw away how old you are, because Jesus changed the world in three years. How much could you change in three years? How many people's lives could you impact in three years? How much personal change and development could you see in three years? Jesus shows us the impact of three. And I just, and that's why I say church, like for you seasoned saints and those that are older and have been saved for a long time, the church needs you. I very rarely say need. But honestly, the church needs your faithfulness. It needs your example. It needs your it, it needs your presence. It's like some of these younger Christians, younger cats, they need to see the ups and the downs. They don't need to see perfection. They need to see real. They need to know, yep, I've been following Jesus. It's been crazy, but God has been faithful. That I can't believe I'm even here right now, that I can look back because I can look back on God's track record, and I can say, I know he's been there. I know he's been faithful. Am I perfect? Nope. There's a lot of mess, a lot of stuff, but at the same time, and, and that is what we, family, we, we need spiritual grandparents who can be grandparents in the faith and encourage and strengthen and speak about their experiences and the faithfulness of God. But the, I think the source of what we see in Jesus' life, because we can just look at Jesus, like I said, and we can just look at him as some sort of like overnight success. Nothing is overnight success. Amazon, billion-dollar billion dollar company, started in a garage. Apple, same thing, right? And, I mean, we can look at it, we can just look at overnight successes instead of we can say, Jesus was not this 
overnight success. It was mainly 30 years of being faithful in private. It was being 30 years of finding his satiation and finding his, his joy in God's word, in his father's word. We can even see this one time in John chapter 4 where Jesus just, got, just, just gets done ministering to the crowds. And his disciples, they're being good disciples, right? We're going to pick them in verse number 31. This is the account of John the apostle who was Jesus' best friend. So he's got some really intimate details of Jesus' life. And we see this, John chapter 4, he brings this point up. He says, meanwhile, his disciples, Jesus' disciples, urged him, Rabbi, you've been working, brother. You've been preaching the word, healing people. You look a little hungry. Matter of fact, Jesus, you look a little hangry. Think we need to go down to KFC? Get some of this chicken that'll stop our hearts. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, but, he's, but they say, Rabbi, eat something. But he, Jesus, said to them, I have food to eat you know nothing about. He says, and, it's, and of course, his disciples are only seeing in the flesh. <laughs> they said, well, could someone have brought him food? Oh, man. Jesus said, my food is to do the will. Everyone say will. will. It's to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. The source of Jesus' satisfaction and satiation had changed from what his flesh offered him to what his obedience to his father did. He changed his source. And anybody here, you ever heard of ketosis diet or the keto diet? Right? Some of y'all are like, I've heard it. It's the dumbest thing I've ever heard, but I've never even heard about it. I don't even know what it is. It just has diet, so I'm not doing it. Right? Let's just say, everyone's got a diet. It's either just good or bad. Say, I don't have a diet. Yeah, you do. It's a fast food diet. Or it's a seafood diet. You see food and you eat it. Right? But the whole point of this keto craze and diet is that you switch the source in your body. Where most diets are centered around the, the, the fuel of your body being carbohydrates. But the point of the keto diet is to literally switch the source of where your body gets energy from from being the carbohydrates, the carbohydrates stored in your body to being the fat cells stored in your body. So now it, you, you literally switch your source from these extra carbohydrates or from these carbohydrates that you're providing your body, and you switch it to now be the stored up fat cells. And I'm not just calling them fat, it's, it's fat. But I'm not calling anyone fat, so don't be putting me online, blasting me, sending me e emails. Like, you know, there, there, there's three macronutrients. There's fat, carbohydrates, and what? And protein, right? And so what happens is you actually switch your source, and that's what Jesus is talking about here. He's saying the source of my satiation, the source that brings me joy, the source that I get the most satisfaction from is obedience to my Father. And that is what brings satiation and fulfillment in my life. It's not even the physical food that I eat. My satisfaction comes from doing the will of him who sent me. We've been thinking about how Jesus obeyed his father's will. How did Jesus know what his father's will was? And it's easy for us. Well, he was Jesus, man. He was Jesus. I don't know why I went country. 
He was Jesus. <laughs> I don't know. It was Jesus. He just knew it. But could it be that even as a Jewish rabbi, rabbis would literally memorize the Old Testament? It was the source of their learning how to read and write. Rabbis were ones, like I said, they would, let me just show you here the Old Testament. Memorized. I believe Jesus knew what the will of his father was because he knew his father's word. There's over 300 prophecies about the Messiah in the Old Testament. Could it be as Jesus was reading these prophecies, as he was reading through the book of, the, the, the book of Isaiah, as he was reading about the prophets, as he was reading about the, the history of, of Israel, as he was reading all of this, even the first prophecy in Genesis 3 saying that the offspring of the woman would one day crush Satan's head, could it be that something inside of Jesus came alive and said, this is my is to do the will of my father through his spirit who wrote this, and this is what my will is. Some of y'all are going to get that. Some of y'all are going to get that, because even you see Jesus when he started his public ministry. John chapter 4, the apostle John gets, gets this account where Jesus was in the synagogue about to read a scroll. Let's go ahead and bring this up. John chapter 4, or I, I think, no, no, excuse me, this is Luke chapter 4. Starting in verse number 14, it says, Then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. This is right after he was tempted. Filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. He taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue. And I just want to pause right there because even Jesus went to church. And, and what other things say is, as was his custom... As what he did on a weekly, regular basis, he went to the synagogue. He went to a, to, to a gathering with other believers. And I just think if Jesus went to church, we should probably do the same. Instead of saying, I love Jesus, but not the church. I love Jesus, but I want to stay by myself. I love Jesus, and I'll just check out podcasts and just consume, consume, consume. Could it be that we need to be more like Jesus and actually attend a gathering with community? It's vital. He went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, <laughs> handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. Talk about a flex. He said, all eyes on the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak up to them. Whew. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. You know what Jesus was saying? This is my will. And I know God's will because I know God's word. I know who I'm supposed to be, what I'm supposed to do, where I'm supposed to go because I know his word. He says, I'm actually living, breathing, fulfilling what my father wrote. And y'all, let me just say, I believe we miss so much of God's will because we don't know God's word. 
we are consumed with wanting to know the hidden will of God. Who am I supposed to marry? I think her name's Mary. There's a license plate that says Mary. It's confirmation. My favorite Bible character is Mary. Mary. Scrolling on Tinder. Her name's Mary. I don't know. This, but y'all see how we can be really obsessed with wanting to know things that we feel are hidden wills of God. Where should I work? Where should I live? Who should I marry? What house should we buy? And I believe we spend so much time trying to figure out the hidden will of God that we, as a byproduct, ignore the revealed will of God. Because, the, y'all, there is so much of God's will that's, always, that's already been revealed. And we will search stuff that is secondary, missing what is primary. We will miss it. And we'll say, I don't know if God's speaking to me. And we'll have a closed Bible. And here's the thing. I'm not bashing anybody because I know people, like I've said before, the reason why we can have closed Bibles isn't because there is not desire or because there is not intention. It could just be practical tools or personal laziness. So I'm not bashing any, anybody at all. I am just saying that we have to make sure it's like the, that we don't desire the hidden will of God for secondary things, that we miss the revealed will of God, which should be primary. And that actually guides and leads how we make secondary God's will decisions. Some of you are like, should I date and marry this guy? Is he a Christian? If you are a Christian and the answer is no, I'm not going to bash you. I'll, I just don't know. I, should I buy this and go into massive debt? You can spiritualize it all day. Like my initials are D-E-B-T. So then we'll try to find something to affirm what we want to do instead of going to the source that should guide what we do. Y'all, I think before we go seeking stuff about God's hidden will, we've got to make sure we search God's and know God's revealed will. Because this is primary. I have a prayer that I just want us to pause and pray. Because I think in church in 2023, American United States Christianity, we don't have a problem with knowledge. We have a problem with obedience. We know more than we do. We, like, just like I said last Sunday on, online, we've got more Bibles. I mean, y'all saw the in Chinese underground church, how they responded to God's word. Wasn't that powerful? I don't know if you saw it, if you didn't see it online last week, but just how a Chinese church underground got a delivery of Bibles that had literally been having church with ripped out pages of the Bible, not even a full Bible. They ripped that box open and people... We're going at it like people within the United States go after stores on Black Friday. And you want to know why the church is where it's at? It's because we have more of a passion for Black Friday than we do God's word. 
we will run and beat down people to get a $300 72-inch television and leave our 20 Bibles in our house unscathed and untouched. Here's the prayer. It's going to be on the screen behind me. It's a simple prayer. Some of the most powerful prayers are simple. Some of the most powerful prayers are short. Some of y'all think prayer is those that pray the longest, the loudest, and have the most eloquent language. Because once you let you know, God is not fooled by that. God knows your heart. Even a prayer of Jesus is powerful. Jesus, change my heart. Jesus, help me to fix my eyes on you. But one of the prayers I just feel led for all of us to pray corporately that I'm just going to start off, and, and would you join in, is on the screen behind me. Ready? If you wouldn't mind, lift up hands. Everyone say, Lord, help me by the power of your Holy Spirit to obey what is clear. Amen. Let's pray it one more time. Lord, help me. By the power of your Holy Spirit to obey what is clear. Amen. Lord, may you do that in our church. May we be people that obey the revealed will of God. And I just want to summarize kind of just, of course, I've got three things. Not four, not five, not two, three. Three things that are, because oh, y'all, that's all I have time for. Like, y'all, y'all know that. Three, three three revealed wills of God that are clear in this book. That if we focused more on them instead of trying to find the hidden will of God, as we seek the primary, the revealed will of God, I believe the hidden will of God will become a lot easier to distinguish. Because the thing is, God's given you a brain and discernment. And many of you are begging God to show you what he is saying. You should already know. It's just you are holding back the decision because you want something different than what God wants. Yeah, anyway, okay. The first one's this. What is clear will of God in this book is, this is going to sound elementary, is to know God. If there's anything about knowing the revealed will of God, the purpose of it is to know God. Here's the thing. The goal isn't to know about God, but to know him. The church is filled with people that know about. They don't know. Even the word that, that and, 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 and this is why if you grew up in church, you will be more prone to know about than know. This is one of the downsides of having children as, as a pastor. It's because they can grow up in my home having a delegated, relegated faith instead of one they own. Well, my dad's a pastor. And they can think by saying, my dad's a pastor, that they know God. They just know about him. And so my job as a parent isn't to get more information so they know about God. My prayer is that they would have an encounter with God that would mark them for the rest of their lives. I pray that over my sons every day. I pray four things. God, fill them with the power of your Holy Spirit. Because here, here's, here's the thing, parents. I can't always be with my kids, but the Spirit of God can always be with them. So I'm going to pray. God, convict them. God, challenge them. God, fill them with you because you can always be with them. To give them a sensitive heart to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Right? I pray that God would fill them with supernatural wisdom. Because my God. 
If we ever need it, it's right now. They just don't need information. They need godly, supernatural wisdom. I pray that they would have an encounter with God that would mark them for the rest of their lives. Why? Because I remember when I went from knowing about to knowing. Paul, he knew a lot about God, but when he got knocked off of his high horse, when he encountered the risen Jesus, it went from being, I'm a good religious person to, oh my God, I now see what this is. Pray that they, that, that they would have an, a, a, an encounter with God that would mark them for the rest of their life. And then I pray that God would protect them. Protect them from the enemy, his servants and his works and his effects. Family, church, like we've, we, we've got to be almost be praying the same things for ourselves. And here's the thing, right? The, the knowing him doesn't have to, you know what I'm saying? Because I... We've got to make sure that we let God speak to people how they need to hear it. Because some people will judge somebody else's experience and say, well, I just don't know if they really know God because I haven't seen them falling on the ground. We haven't gotten the prayer cloths out yet, the purple prayer cloths, and put them over them as they've gotten knocked out in the Holy Spirit. I don't know if they've really met God. Well, do you know what? Maybe they met him. In, you know what I'm saying? It's like we, we, just, we just got to make sure. But that's why we can't judge what, many times what we can see. We've got to let God do that kind of judging and let the Holy Spirit speak to them. But the kind... Paul is a great example because this is what Paul said in Philippians 3. He said, but whatever were gains to me. And before this, he listed off his resume. Oh, yeah, I was. He even called himself perfect. He was literally like, if we come to the law, I did everything right. I was from the good bloodline. I, I had, he talked about being circumcised. I'm like, okay, great. But apparently in the Israel thing, that was a big deal. Right? Like he, he listed all of these things that were beneficial to him that would have made him great in the world, but he says, but whatever was to, what were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. And he says, I want to know. Everyone say no. The Greek word there is this word, ginosko, which is the word, even in scripture, when it said like, Abraham knew Sarah. If it's what you're thinking, yes, that's exactly right. Intimacy. And Paul says, I just don't want to know about. I want to intimately know. I want to know him. And that's what my prayer is for you and our church that is clearly in the will of God. The, the decisions you make have to be centered around, is it going to help you know God better? And y'all dating that person, you know it's not. Taking that job, you know it's not. Living in that, you know, you know what I'm saying? It's like we have to interpret these hidden revealed questions through these revealed wills of God. To know him. Intimately. Go to that next slide. And one of the huge byproducts of knowing God is that you actually get to know yourself. Because how many people are trying to find out who they are without including the creator? 
and we wonder why we have an identity crisis. Because the only way to truly know yourself is to know the God that created you and that you were called to mirror. Like, do you know when in Genesis 127, when God created Adam, Eve, he created mankind, this is what he says, so God created human beings in his own image. That word there, image means to mirror. Literally mirror. Like, not be exactly like saying, but to be like. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Here's the thing, you were made to mirror, y'all. You were made to mirror. This is your original purpose, is to know God, mirror him. You're made in his image, which means this gives you ingrained dignity and worth. That's how one of the main values of our church is honor everyone. Does that mean we agree with everyone? God, no. But it does mean the starting point, the reference point for how we view every person that comes into our doors or in our lives individually is made in the image of God. It's not Democrat, Republican, black, white, male, female. The first filter is what? Image of God. This is our starting point. We were made to mirror, but of course, because of sin, because of our rebellion, that mirror has become broken, and it's become broken in many different ways. Every part of our life, mental, emotional, psychological, relational, sexual, all of these areas become broken. And then because they become broken, then we just don't want to be like God. We want to be God. The issue now isn't that we just got, we just got a lot of people running around that are broken and want to be God. They're broken mirrors. And I want to read the longest quote ever. Is that okay? Literally. I even sent this to our production team. I said, this is the longest quote I've ever read in the history of Lifehouse. But it's so good. It's by John Piper. And he's talking about this idea that we were created to mirror. And if you could just engage with, with me here, follow along. It's powerful because it's such a good reminder for us that we are called to mirror God, but we're broken mirrors. And why we struggle with wanting to be broken mirrors, but at the same time being going back to what we are originally called to be. This is what he says. The glory of a mirror is to put its face to the light and to let that light shine. This is what mirrors are made for. This is the deep longing of the heart. But then sin entered the world, and its first manifestation was Adam and Eve's discontent with being mirrors. They began to want to be their own source of light. They began to feel that mirrors are just glass with a thin coating of tin and mercury. They suddenly became conscious of the fact that to be a good mirror, you have to turn whichever way the light moves. You can't be your own master. So they chose to be their own source of light. They turned their brilliant mirror faces away from God, and now all they can do is block his light and cast a shadow across the world. But I want you to see that the longing of Adam and Eve to be the light is a distortion of a legitimate longing, namely to reflect the light. The Bible teaches that everyone since the fall of Adam and Eve is born with these same distorted longings. We come into the world longing to be God. We want, to, we want the world to revolve around our, our interest. We want to decide for ourselves which way to turn our faces. We want people to esteem us and admire us and compliment us. We don't like the thought of being a mirror, which is no beauty except in the thing that it reflects. We don't like the idea of having to turn our face wherever the light wants to go. We want to be our own light. We want to be God. This comes with our fallen humanity. It is the very, very essence of sin. If you are honest, you will admit that you have felt this way. But this universal experience of sin is, is Satan's distortion of something wonderful. 
And the wonderful thing is the pure and righteous longing to be used by God to reflect his glory in the world. It's not wrong to want to be significant. It's wrong to want your significance to reside in yourself instead of the one you reflect. It's not wrong to want to be important. It's wrong to want your importance to be in yourself instead of the one you reflect. It's not wrong to boast, but let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Concealed deep breath, our pride and craving for esteem and our love of power and influence is a good thing that has been distorted, namely the longing to be a mirror of God. To be a mirror of God is the highest honor to which a creature can aspire, and the most ludicrous sight in the world is a created mirror turning away from the light of God and then trying on its own to make a little spark to brighten the shadow it casts on the world. You were created to mirror family like no God and mirror him. And that's why even James, when he was writing to 12 churches that his specific letter was going to, talking about the connection between mirroring God and obeying the word. This is what it says. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Can we get that up there? Is that computer? Okay. Don't just do what it says. No, no, you must do what it says. Sorry, that, yeah, that was totally wrong. You don't know what I'm saying. Don't, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to start over. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it is like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself walk away and completely forget what you look like. What, what is James saying? It's like when you obey the word it is like looking at your face in the mirror and seeing whose image you're created in but if you hear the word and do not obey it it's like looking at it and then saying i don't want to be there there is a deep connection between knowing god mirroring god and being obedient to his word y'all this is what jesus ultimately came to do you know in colossians 1 paul said this christ is the visible image of the invisible god that Jesus came and put flesh onto who God is. And because of that, here's the thing, here's the point. Jesus is the image of God. Jesus obeyed the word. As we obey the word, we are brought back to the original image we were created to mirror. Some of y'all are like, that's way over my head. But no, let, let this sink in and, and let this make sense. Jesus came and said the visible image of the invisible God. As we obey the same word that Jesus did, then as we obey the word, we are brought back to Jesus, who was the original image anyway, whose image we're created in. So here's the, that's the whole point of discipleship, y'all. The whole point of discipleship isn't to take you from bad to good. The whole point of following Jesus isn't to take you from being a fuddy-dud to being one of God's favorites, okay? The whole point of following Jesus is to get back to the original image you were created in. Discipleship, following Jesus, is a journey back toward becoming the mirror we were originally created to be. And the way that I see it is if you have a broken mirror, it's like following Jesus is Jesus taking the pieces of the broken mirror and putting them back in. Because y'all, listen, man, we're all a broken mess. Amen. I figure I get a little more amen. Amen. We are all broken, and, and, but, but, but y'all, the beautiful thing is as we follow Jesus, Jesus comes and puts these broken pieces together little by little, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. That's what discipleship is. One of the main rules of God is to know God. The second one's this, is to become like him. 
to become like God. It's not just knowing him, it's becoming like him. I love how clear the Bible can be. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse number 3. This is what Paul says. It is God's will. Everyone say, it is God's will. So do you think this is God's will? Yeah? Do you think Paul was clear here? You think maybe saying, like, maybe this is what God's will is? Like, I'm, I'm just saying. I'm not trying to force anything. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. You know what that word sanctified means? It's a big Christian word, Tim, that means we are called to be like him. That in other words, like the totality of who you are, your mind, your body, your soul, your spirit, conforms to literally be who Jesus is through the power of the Holy Spirit. And here's the thing. I think we miss the fact that God's will is a who and not a do. Many times we want, the, like I said, the will of God. Where are we going to go? Where are we going to do? How much money are we going to make? And we miss the fact that God's will is ultimately tied to you becoming a certain kind of person. God's will is for you to be like Jesus. God's will is less about what you accomplish and more about the kind of person you are becoming. I mean, honestly, in the decisions you make, do you know what needs to be factored in? What kind of person will you become if you do that? Because some of you are like, if I take this job, I get an, an extra $50,000, but what kind of human being is it going to make you? What kind of father is it going to make you? What kind of mother is it going to make you? Is it going to make you more loving, joyful, peaceful, kind, faithful, gentle, self-controlled that we're called to be by the Spirit of God? Because that's the revealed will of God is who you are supposed to be. And making decisions about what you do, where you live, who you, all of these things need to be interpreted through this revealed stuff, y'all. And the most, you, we're called to become like him. Not just know about him, but actually become like him. Third, thirdly, and we're going to land this plane. Know him, become like him. But then a huge part of God's revealed will is to make God known. I've done this so many times where I'm like, should I talk to this person about Jesus? Should I just, like, should I do it? And I go back and forth and I get in my head and I start to think about, why would, John, why would they listen to you? Look at him. He's got, tat, tat, you know, he's got tattoos. You know, it's like all of these, you know, it's like, oh, he looks old. I'm not old. You know, I, I'm not talking about you, Reggie. You look like you're about 20 years younger, bro. You, look, and, you know, but y'all, can't we get in our heads? Like when God is call, like, it's, it's like we can, we can have clear will of God. Make disciples. Make him known. And we're in our heads. Should I tell him about Jesus? Is this God? And I just felt the Lord say, John, yes. Why are we wrestling with things that are clear? We don't know if it's God. Let's find out. Let's find out. I remember this one story Lee Strobel told. He, he was the guy that wrote the book, The Case for Christ. He was a journalist for a big Chicago newspaper back in the day. He had started to follow Jesus, and he had this one story about he felt prompted to go and tell his friend in the next cubicle about what Jesus had done in his life. And, you know, it's just like one of those, those things. He was a newer Christian going back and forth and said, should I do it? So we finally got the courage, went over to him. I started talking to him, had a conversation. And he said, literally, the guy was like, hey, thanks. Thanks, man. But 
I'm not interested. You know, and, and he just said how it crushed his heart, it crushed his spirit, you know, and just the whole thing, I'm a failure, you know, I didn't say something right enough, maybe I didn't pray hard enough, so then we get into all this self-condemning stuff. And some of you struggle with this because you think it's your responsibility to save your children. Can I just tell you to take that, un, that, that, that God-like burden off of you? You can't save anybody. You are not salvation for anybody. Can you be a godly influence, a godly voice, and persuade and share the goodness of God in the gospel? Absolutely. But you are not good or strong enough to save a soul. And that as you take off, because when you feel that burden, then you feel the burden to be perfect, say the right thing, right time. I didn't say it the right way. Maybe I should have said that. And you get into this undue pressure. I mean, you can't listen to the discerning voice of the Holy Spirit and discern what to say, when to say it, how to say it, with this burden of thinking you're going to be the one saving them. But this isn't just about your kids. This could be your workplace. You have a heart for your workplace. You want them to know who Jesus is. You want them to see who Jesus is through you, and you just feel this burden because you feel like, I've got to be the one to save them. So you think I've got to say it perfectly. And y'all, let me just take that burden off of you. God is the one that saves a soul. He is the one that takes a will and turns it towards him. And yes, we do need to be discerning and listening because when you take that burden off and put it to God, that's, that's above your pay grade. That's in his pay grade. So give that responsibility to him. Then you are free to listen, hear, and discern, and share as the Spirit gives you the words to say. But we know the will of God is to make him known. So, so, so then, Lee Strobel shared, shared this. The guy wasn't interested. Then he said a year later, he was at the newspaper doing his thing, and he said, he said this Hispanic guy came up to him, and he said he was speaking broken English. And he said, hey, I just want to thank you for leading me to Christ. And Lee was like, you know, he, he was, you know, 40-some years old. He was like, maybe my memory was going away. I don't remember this person. And he said, he came over to this guy's desk one day. And he started telling him about Jesus. And I was actually under the desk working on a problem. And I heard you share the gospel with him. And something in my heart came alive. And I started going to church, and I gave my life to Christ, and now I'm serving the Lord. I mean, just, but just for a year, he just probably felt like an idiot. He said no. And it's, it's like, is it the will of God to tell others about him? Yes. Do you have to be perfect? No. Do you have to say every word right? No. And I just want, and, and, and I just pray that we would see the will of God is to make him known. If God prompts your heart to share with somebody something in your, is it God? Get out of your head and see if it's him. Plant the seed. Say the words. You are training to be like him. It does not affect your identity whether you say everything right or whether they respond to the gospel. You're training to be like him. y'all my my open heart this the revealed will y'all make them known jesus said go and make disciples of all nations he didn't say go and make churchgoers disciples people that follow him baptizing in the name of the father son and the holy spirit teaching them to obey everything i have commanded you i love what francis chan says in 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 his book 
this is a book about marriage. The, like the marriage group right now is actually doing a small group on this book where it's, where it, it's called Marriage in Light of Eternity. And one of the best quotes in this book is, is this one. This is what it says. It says, make disciples. Our lives should revolve around these two words. Whether as individuals or as couples, our mission is to make as many disciples as we can during our time on earth. This takes priority over everything else. So assuming you haven't done so already, you should sit down with your spouse tonight and figure out how to structure your lives around the command to make disciples. This command should dictate everything about your life. That's a strong statement, isn't it? But is it God's revealed word? <laughs> when Jesus said, go and make disciples. To dictate everything about your life. Here's the secondary things that we want revealed. Where you live, where you work, where you spend your money, how you spend your time, everything. We should not make a single decision without the words make disciples factoring in. We should be consistently asking, asking ourselves the question, how can we free up more time and resources to make them disciples? We're going to conclude today 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. This kind of sums up all the three things that we're saying, what is God's revealed will? Peter said, you're a chosen people, royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. He's saying, I want to know you and I want you to become like me. I want you to become holy. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God for he called you out of his darkness into his wonderful light. Y'all, what is God's will? Know God, become like God, make God known. Can we stop complicating what is not, comp what is not comp complicated? This is God's will. It's his revealed will. And I believe that as we seek his revealed will, he will settle the hidden stuff. Because you will start making decisions about these secondary things in light of these primary things. So y'all, my, my heart is, how have you responded to the revealed will of God? Will you stand up with me? Thanks again for listening to this week's message. And if today's message helped or inspired you, feel free to share it with someone. If after today's message you have questions, need help, or just want somebody to talk to or process with, just shoot LifeHouse a text to 757-690-2401. For more information about LifeHouse, you can visit us at lifehouseonline.church. That's lifehouseonline.church.